Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso. Welcome to the show. Before we get rolling, some housekeeping at the top. I mentioned at the end of last week's episode that we'd be releasing our August lineup on social media. For those who missed that post, the lineup goes as follows. Today we sit with Jenny Slate, on the 16th, Norman Lear, on the 23rd, Titus Burgess, and on the 30th, Carol Burnett. The thinking behind these four guests was kind of simple. Who still makes us laugh in the pandemic? It's not a long list, but each of these four people have worked primarily in comedy. They are funny, but also wise, comforting, and silly. And let's be honest, right now we're in this emotional purgatory, or at least I am. The New York Times ran an op-ed this week titled, We've Hit a Pandemic Wall. The article contains new data about Americans suffering from record levels of mental distress. Admittedly, I only could get through half of the article. Um, It's a bummer, fitting for this bummer of a time. You know, the pandemic seems to have no real end date. The election looms large. And I think we all know September through November are going to be tough taxing months, full of division, anger, fear. In anticipation of that period, we've invited some guests on that I think could help us get through it. Authors, activists, musicians, one especially remarkable politician. But for now, before we have to button up and buckle down, we have August. And that's exactly why we've invited these four people on for this moment. Jenny, Norman, Titus, Carol, they are here to help you and I get through that wall with a laugh wherever we can find it. So today's guest is Jenny Slate. She's an actress, writer, and comedian. She came on the show back in 2017. For many of you, it's probably a favorite of yours. In the four years of doing Talk Easy, there's no episode that I get 
more emails and messages about than this one. It was a strikingly vulnerable conversation for Jenny and I both. At the end of that conversation, which you can find on our website, we talked about reconvening in 2020. A check-in. In the intervening three years, Jenny wrote a book called Little Weirds. It was recently listed as one of Vanity Fair's great quarantine reads. It's a collection of short stories and vignettes. You could call it a memoir, but that's not exactly right. It's not pure fiction either. It's more a fluid, living and breathing document of her feelings. A portrait of a broken heart, trying to put the pieces of the puzzle back together. Like everything she does, including episodes of this podcast, it is full of big emotions. What I like about Jenny is that we tend to approach conversations similarly. We try to lay all our cards on the table. No tricks, no artifice, no bullshit. We're attempting radical honesty. It may sound a little woo-woo. It probably is a little woo-woo. And we may not always succeed. We are, I'm sure, at times, full of shit. But we try to tell the truth, no matter how it sounds. So here is Jenny Slate, as she is right now, in 2020. I hope you enjoy. Okay, um, Jenny Slate. Yes. Holy cow. <laughs> As I was telling you uh, before we did this, back in 2017, we spoke and promised to do a podcast in 2020, regardless, as you said, if I was even doing a podcast in 2020. That's what I said? Yeah, you said, even if, we're, even if you're not doing a podcast, we have to do a 2020 check-in. Oh, that's nice. But it, but it wasn't like... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like I was like, I don't know if you're going to really be able to keep this up, Sam. <laughs> so, you know, let me check in with you at 2020. Right. I don't know if the show is any good, so let's see if it has legs. It's great. I'm a listener. That's very kind of you. Let's go to 2017 for one second of, of how that began. Okay. The first thing you said when you came on. You said, I woke up this morning being like, ugh, my career's over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds right. Do you remember that? I mean, I don't, I remember like driving to your house. I don't, I don't remember specifically waking up that way, but um, I have woken up that way many a time. And when I have thought, you know, in advance, sort of anticipating this interview. First of all, I was really excited. Um, But I also was like, I wonder, like, what, what am I marking here? Like, yeah, I I don't think I was necessarily wrong (laughs) that morning. (laughs) It's just that I think I have other concerns now. What do you mean by marking? Like, you know, usually when you're being interviewed, when I was, when you interviewed me in 2017, it was because the movie Landline was about to come out and um, you're sort of on a press thing. And now it's like, I don't know. I mean, for many reasons in the summer of 2020, it feels uh, irrelevant all the way to disrespectful for me to be like doing press for anything. I also don't have any press for, to do press for anything because, um, because I have spent that time basically since 2017 reducing and reducing and reducing the amount that I have performed on screen. And part of that is on purpose. And part of that feels like a necessary transition that stings a bit of maybe um, I didn't do a good job. Who knows? Did not do a good job at what? (laughs) Um, Sometimes I go to like general meetings, you know, to meetings with a producer or a someone who's not like really, I don't know, I'm sure you have listeners that don't know what that means. And in fact, m- more for myself, I think it's disgusting to be someone who would say general meeting 
which is a specific thing in the entertainment industry, and to act like everyone should know what that means. Mm-hmm. That's like asking someone to check their tech avails. <laughs> I don't know. This is like, this is disgusting. But um, I'll go to the meeting and people will be like, I mean, and also by people, I mean, never a woman has ever, ever said this to me. But um, no, by the way, that voice, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I could hear that voice and I was like, oh, this is going to be a man, isn't it? Oh, darn it. I know. But it's like, yeah, what, what? Uh, impression of a woman ever starts with actually it other than a dated and a, and again I'll use the word um irrelevant impression of like Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh which you know also feels who cares um but <laughs> truly let the garbage go to the dump but um let it go to where the trash goes um and and become part of the earth again sometimes people will be like I mean, I always tell people, like, why isn't Jenny Slate in more stuff? Uh, she's actually a great actress. <laughs> or like these, like, like occasionally when I, you know, cover one eye and hold on to my butt and look at what people might say to me on Twitter, I need one eye to read. But I don't, I, you know, got I will protect my whole butt. Um, it's like, you are the most underrated, <laughs> you know, and it's like, that's not a compliment. You know, it's just a neg. <laughs> it's just a like, I don't usually like Jewish girls, but you're hot. <laughs> I wouldn't traditionally find someone that looks like you attractive. <laughs> right. But in this case, yeah. kind of attractive. You're doing something for me. So congrats to you. <laughs> How come men love to start sentences with the word actually? Yeah, I don't know. I, it feels like it's riding the same sort of question train as why do so many um men like to play the devil's advocate Mm -hmm. (laughs) like why do they want their their, to take space in the conversation but they know that their opinion is disgusting and ugly so they would rather represent satan than um than just be themselves with a normal opinion you know whatever you can say like that's really offensive but um it's actually just true and like yeah it's a certain dude that's gonna play the devil's advocate like that weakness to not take their their own their own position, their own offensive position <laughs> and bring the devil on in. <laughs> That's so odd. <laughs> I'm still struck by the person who's saying Jenny Slate should be in more movies. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I don't agree. It's just that you know sometimes when you're like, "Oh, and this is all like a very uh, juvenile, immature stuff. But you're like, oh no, am I that? Am I that? Like, are people saying that about me? And you, you spent. You're like, oh, who cares? They're like, oh no, I'm not. I'm actually this. And then you go into a situation, and someone really does say it. Someone really does say it, and you're like, oh, it is that, isn't it? And sometimes that's refreshing because you can see whether or not you care. But I think that. There really, for me, used to be like when I started in in like 2015, I guess, or 2014, 2015, whatever, when Obvious Child came out, that that was like the start of me doing acting work for real. And I think there was a sense that I, from myself, a sense of pressure that I should have become like this or that, but I just became something else. But you felt like acting was something you wanted to do early on. I I just want to go to your book. Sure, yeah. Little Weirds. You wrote, Some time ago I made peace with wanting to be looked at. I know that to be seen is to be taken in. My delight, this inclination to sweep into your eyesight, beats in me like an extra heart. So you had some inkling early on that you wanted to be looked at. Whether that meant acting or not, I suppose is another question. I think it did mean acting, uh, looked at in that way, kind of dressed up as someone else and given things to say and being put in that like sort of anointed space of like being in a movie. I always wanted that. And it's not that I don't anymore. I, I really, really do. I just also want like a broader thing for myself as well. But I have always wanted to be an actress. And um, I'm at a point now, not just because of the pandemic, but because I've taken a pretty long break, actually, mm-hmm. that I really, really miss it. 
But I'm also just kind of getting comfortable with the idea that like, there are just some things I can't do. Like there are just some things I'm not good at. Like what? Like I just, I don't know what it is for every performer, but there are just only a, a few certain zones that are good for me to be in. I don't really think I could be like an Aaron Brockovich. That's one I think about a lot. And like, I don't think, yeah, I could play like, <laughs> I don't think I could play, play like play like a, an action hero. I just don't think I'm good at that. And it like embarrasses me. But I like to play people who are having feelings rather than like on a mission. I was reading your book this morning, finishing it, um, because I always do things at the last minute. Me too. I wondered how different you felt from the pages that I was reading in this moment. I feel like I'm a continuation of that person. I, I think, you know, my book is, it's a real record of my feelings during a specific time. Basically, my feelings between, like, the beginning of 2018 and, mm -hmm. uh, like, winter of 2018 all the way through that December um, but I wrote the book sort of mostly, I wrote like a bunch of weird stuff down, not weird, but just stuff, just stuff, just, just whatever it is. I wrote things down without trying to make them into anything for months. And then in October of 2018, I really said, okay, make this into a book. And at that time, like I was single, um, I was really trying to figure out how to not be terrified of being lonely mm -hmm. and figure out how to be alone. And so I feel like, oh yeah, I, I, I am like that person. But while I, <laughs> there's just a new challenge now. For me now, the, the things that I'm focused on are like, well, how, how do you um, be less fearful around other people? <laughs> It's like, it's actually like rather quaint to be like, I'm alone and I'm writing about it. You know, like that's what the guys have been doing forever. That's like, you know, Thoreau just being like, and here I am and like, I'm doing this and I'm, I'm alone. There's so much, so many high fives given to dudes who like go out alone mm -hmm. and so much like, oh, her sad craziness to women who do it <laughs> alone by the sea, <laughs> freaking out. Um, but I feel different now just because I was like, okay. I did it. I'm starting to be good at being alone. Oh, God, I just met someone. <laughs> so it just, like, didn't last that long. And so, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of like where I started, I guess. I think that's, like, my cycle, though. I do think your book could be very helpful to people who feel alone in this moment. It feels comforting. Yeah. Reading it this morning. I'm really glad. I mean, sometimes you're doing something. You don't realize why you're doing it. If you're lucky. If you're lucky, you can still do the thing without having to define it constantly while you're doing it and telling yourself what it is. But I was doing this, writing this book to soothe myself and um, to try to kind of get away from a feeling of exhaustion that I had had of like always trying to be funny or being feeling like I could only present myself one way. It's been really good for me to do stand up because I do think that it feels authentic to me and the feelings that I have while I do stand up are completely real and really happening. But I just started to feel like I need something that feels like a meditation mm -hmm. and I need to start writing things down that I could come back to and read and say like, oh yeah, I existed and I'm real because whether it's a pandemic or whether it's just, just February or whatever, the way that I seem to be as like a cosmic creature is that I get yanked into a dark place. And it's not, not sometimes it can be depression, but, but sometimes it's just, it's just something else. And I'm tired of being surprised by it mm. or having no tools to deal with it. So I just wrote something so that on the days where I'm like, wow, I am genuinely flat. You know, like there's a piece in that book about just trying to imagine my body and that like the only thing I can imagine is like the inside of my body is like paper tubes with air going through them. Mm -hmm. And like, that's how I feel sometimes. I just feel so useless and burdensome and burdensome to myself. And I started to be like, you need to like put some markers down on your path. Do you feel that way today? Um, A little bit. Yeah. I, I think I, <laughs> I have like for the last couple of days felt unsettled and that's kind of 
again, normal for the pandemic and normal for like culture. But I will say, and we don't know each other really that well, but I felt it almost immediately that something was adrift a little bit. Yeah. I actually think that's kind of a relief to be like, you know, sometimes you're like, am I acting weird? And everyone's like, no, there wasn't anything there. Everything's fine. Yeah. And, and in a way, everything is fine. But well, one thing is like, I've started to write a new book and I'm just like, I don't remember how to do this at all. Yeah. And I'm, you know, and I, I live in Massachusetts half the year and where I am, I'm really far away from all of my friends. And um, I'm always a little bit lonely, but I'm like a lot lonely for them. And I'm I'm worried about my myself as a creative person at this point right I, now. I feel I feel the same. Worried about creating. I've tried to write. If I showed you the words, you would say, I can't believe I listened to your podcast ever. <laughs> like they're so bad. They're so bad. I can't unearth anything that feels vaguely interesting or important enough to show someone when in fact your your podcast is like it's very interesting and it and it always comes out great and like maybe this is just part of the process there are times when i'm like i i just don't feel like i have anything to offer Mm -hmm. what bums me out the most is that and i'm working on it i'm working on it but like essentially i'm i do need someone else I was describing it to my fiance. I was like, it's like I've been put in like a dark shaft, like an elevator shaft. And then I make up stories where I'm like, I'm not important. I'm burdensome. You know, there's no way that he thinks I'm as necessary or as a, like a, as a, as much of a good contributor to his life as exciting things that have happened to him in the past. And I've said to him, like, at those, points. It's like, I just need you to reach a hand in. And what if that's like what I'm like, you know, like, I don't know, like, you know, those goats that get really excited and then they like, they get really stiff and they fall over like that. That's Mm -hmm. what those goats are like. And I was just going for a walk this morning and I was thinking about a time when with an ex-partner where the person was like, you're just fraudulent. Like, you act like you're like fun and you're chill, but like you're really just angry, like, or you get angry, you know? And at the time I, I was too hurt to register that as just like sad misogyny, (laughs) you know, like, like, oh, you're saying I'm a complex person and whatever, but, um, but that it, that, that comment did kind of lodge in me a bit. And there are some days like today where I'm just like, oh, do you buy that idea of you being fraudulent? No, I don't. I don't at all. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. You know what I say sometimes is like, (laughs) and I don't know why I am obsessed with shit and we could, you know, spend nine hours talking about it. But like, if someone were to reach into their ass and pull out a turd and throw it on you and it would hit you in your face, you wouldn't be like, what is wrong with you that you put your hand in your butt to find your own shit and then you threw it through the air on earth and then it hit my face you would just be like "Wow, there's shit on me there's shit on me man there's shit on me and it just doesn't feel good and it's gross so that that's that situation to me is is gross um and it and it i just don't like it and i feel angry by it and, and a bit sullied i guess but no i don't think i'm fraudulent and i get upset sometimes by this like fascination on the internet with authenticity <laughs> uh-huh. um and i've talked i'm familiar yeah with this. like i don't know i um yeah i genuinely think like i am how i am and um and moreover i believe in my value system i like myself yeah i don't i don't like have a problem with my personality at all you said something that reminded me of this quote um from our first conversation on the podcast um It was on the sort of necessity for radical honesty. And you said, we live under patriarchy. And in that system, women are oversimplified so that they are easily controlled. But that's not really what we're like or what we should have to do. I'm constantly trying to show the complexity because it's my will to live. It's my fucking will to live. Yeah, that sounds right. And I totally believe that. (laughs) I bring this up because in the aftermath of doing that podcast, mm-hmm. there was a lot of 
articles written about uh, the sort of date that you went on? I don't even want to call it a date, but we'll call it a date. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Right. Of course. That 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 That's sort of like, what? right, how that got into the media. Yeah. And I felt, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I felt not that you were skeptical of me, but that you were mindful that I contributed to, to this thing that was kind of toxic. Well, let me just say, and first of all, no, I, I didn't feel that way. Um, and I tend to be in conversation, completely throw myself into it and, and move on. Like usually if I'm like kind of bad on my phone, you know, like I'm bad at texting and stuff and I don't try to be good. And actually that's why I, one of the many reasons why I loved your Fran Lebowitz conversation, because she's like, I don't know how to type. It's like, you could have learned, but the understanding is why the hell would you want to? It's so annoying. And I'm, I'm that way, but I, I kind of peeked in and I knew it had been reported on, but I also just thought, who cares? Like um, the way that it was reported was salacious and strange and it's not your fault. And honestly, it's not my fault either because I don't think that you did anything in that conversation to try to urge something out of me that I didn't want to say. You didn't like trick me. And also I kind of was like, here's the whole thing about that situation that still really gets me is that... Uh -huh. I, I wasn't sure if I should mention it because part of me just wanted to move on from how weird that situation was. But, and also that I never let on during the date that I was like, this is actually an unknown personal hell that I've stumbled into that I never even thought of. Like, oh, taken and kept? Yeah, that really scares me. You know, someone like is like, oh, I have a flat tire. Can you help me? Not that I would be like, sure, I can help your tire. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. But, but you know what I mean? Like there are some nightmares that I'm like, oh, you know, SIDS, like a baby dies in a crib, like a nightmare that I've, I've mapped out. That's terrifying. But like, this was crazy, but I never let on because a feminist awakening takes a long time if you have been deeply like conditioned by patriarchy and I didn't want to be mean and I made a bad choice for myself. But anyway, I don't think that that is your fault. And I, and I'm still, I get irritated when people are like, oh man, but that guy, like, he didn't know what he was doing or he just wanted to impress you. Like what might look like a gift to you might be something very unwanted to someone else. And that comment is no different than I'm just trying to give you a fucking compliment, bitch. Like, no, it isn't. And like, that's my favorite spaghetti restaurant. And now I, every time I go back there, I have to think about sitting across from this guy. And like somehow I'm responsible for his hurt feelings because I told a story of what happened to me. And and in case anyone's like listening, they're like, what happened? I went on a blind date with a man who showed up in a suit of armor. I, I, I've already, I think I talked about it in my special. I don't need to like continue to talk about this, you know, that at, at a certain point it does become gratuitous, but. Um, also, if you want to hear that story for people who are listening, go back to the episode from 2017. It's in there somewhere in the middle. I think it's in there. It's completely true. It's totally wild. And here's what, here's like my main focus these days is like, what don't I understand? Mm -hmm. What have I been allowed to not get because I'm white, basically. And because like we live in a very, very insistent, constant forever culture here in the United States of white supremacy. What don't I understand? But like also, that's a question to ask also because of patriarchy. And when I think about this dude showing up, I'm like, and everyone's like, why would you ever do that? It's like, it's just a situation of someone being really, really deep in their own perspective and considering themselves a good guy, you know, I'm a good guy. I'm not like a jock. I'm not gross, whatever. So I'm going to, I'm going to be a different kind of shithead that I have not ever even thought exists because I'm, I'm a good guy and I'm like liberal or whatever. And I watch girls, you know, I think feminists are strong. I like confident women. So I'm going to wear this like suit of armor. I have no idea, but no one's off the hook. And, um, there's just a, there's a part of me that's like, the type of dude that's really bumming me out lately is the man who has figured out that it is attractive to be a feminist ally. I think it's annoying and bad. And there's a difference between the people who are taking action or asking questions and, and the other thing. Before we get into something more political, I, I wanted to talk to you about this because you and I haven't spoken in like two years. Mm -hmm. So a lot has changed. And I wanted to walk through this trip to Norway. So where were you at 
in that moment in your life when you're traveling to Norway and then in turn when you write about it in your book? I think, and looking back in my journals also of that trip, I'm like on a path and I know it's not right for me, but I like, I can't seem to get off. Kind of like, I mean, when I think about it, it feels like when people are um, dealing with an addiction or something and they're like, oh, I wish I could just like not do this, you know, but I, but I'm so in here or it's in me. But I was able to still record things that would assemble eventually into a world that I wanted to be in as myself. But I felt like a ghost looking at things that were all functioning properly in a beautiful world. But I just wasn't part of it um, because of my own problems with dignity and self-respect. And then when I wrote it, I felt much more a part of the world again. And in fact, I writing that piece, like it's just an accumulation of things that I wrote down mm-hmm. while I was traveling. I didn't really, I just put things together from my, from my journal. I, fragments. I really, yeah, it's just fragments. On the plane ride back home from Norway to Los Angeles, you wrote, I was crying too hard on the plane. I tried to write down how I felt. I recently found the note I wrote to myself and all it said was, I'm too overwhelmed to say anymore and I'm too scared to say anymore and I feel foolish, but I must not forget this. So I'm writing this down. And this is the best that I can do. Yeah, I think obviously one has to be careful not to be addicted to their own suffering. And I have to really be careful of self-pity. But you also have to make sure that you're not using the shame of the threat even of being like, oh, woe is me type of person or I'm a so sensitive type of person that you don't actually look at what's wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? and. I try very hard on a daily basis to do my best to say what's up, <laughs> what's happening. And on that plane, I remember being like, this is crazy embarrassing. Like, I'm crying so hard in terms of being in public. This is crazy. But I was doing it really quietly. And there have been times before, like, where I've just thrown up, like, really softly into a barf bag and no one has noticed on a plane. Like, <laughs> really bad hangover. So what do you do? You do, like... I just wait until, like, you know, like, I'm not, a, like, an expert barfer, but I know Who's what I... Who's an expert barfer? Tons of people are expert barfers. I asked that question and I actually answered yeah. it. It's a sad, <laughs> like it's a sad it's a, answer. It's a super dark answer, but... Um, and, I, and I much love those people. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I just happen to not be an expert barfer, but there are a lot of... Ex- I have a lot of expertise at, at stuff that is hard and bad for me. But anyway, I threw up into a, um, a barf bag one time and I just waited until the barf was like there and I just opened my mouth and it went into the bag like I was a slot machine because it was the time in the plane when they're like, don't get up. We're about to take off. And I was like, Whoa. well, I don't want to get kicked off the plane. And so I have to wait until we're in the air. And I threw I threw up into the barf bag. Yeah. Calling yourself a slot machine. <laughs> Not the most generous of descriptions. Oh, my God. Well, but it's just like, you know, it just like comes out. Yeah, I I think that moment on the plane, which is a real moment and, and was a now I understand what it was. It was a real stunner because I explained this to tried to at least explain this to my fiance the other morning where I was like, it's the only time in my life where I have been struck by like, and this, you can, if it's cheesy to you, that's totally fine. But this is, this is what I believe. You are like struck by an eventuality for your soul or your spirit or whatever, a positive eventuality. Maybe you meet someone you're like, oh, what? What the hell? You know, all of these love songs, all of this cheesy stuff about soulmates and everything. You've never believed it. And then you get in a situation and something happens but it doesn't look like what you thought it would it would look like. Or you do an activity and you're like, you know, you've been a lawyer for your whole life and suddenly you bake a cake and you're like, this is my, you have a vocation or a calling, whatever. You have a, what I call like, like a spiritual eventuality, like a beautiful mm-hmm. home for your heart in the universe and you see it. But then swirling around you is the rationale of your day to day. So for me, I went to Norway And I talked to a person. I didn't flirt with him. I didn't touch him. I didn't even try to really be around him excessively. 
But I, the way that we conversed, something happened. And I just kept saying, no, 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 that's not happening. In my daily life, I would say like, you're a fool. That person's a stranger. You don't know them. You shouldn't be in touch with them. It doesn't matter. You're just using that to make up for a hole that you have in yourself. And it's not what it is. It's just not what you hope that it is. And you are an impulsive, um, hot-headed woman and you better like chill out. And I tried to be like that for a while, but all of my emotional output reflected that I had veered away from my spiritual eventuality. Crying and what I would write in my journal when I'm not paying attention. That Mm -hmm. like those, you know, morning pages as they call them or whatever. The things that you write that you're saying, like, I'm just going to write this down. All of that, the music I started listening to, the books I was reading, everything was leaning, leaning on me, pushing me. There is a song that you mention in the book that I, in turn, have been listening to this morning. And I figured we could listen to it for a second and you could place it. Okay, please. Oh, totally. <laughs> I know exactly what it is, of course. If you see my darling with somebody new, keep it a secret, whatever you do. Why should you tell me and break my poor heart? Then foolish pride would just drive us apart. If you see my darling in some rendezvous, painting the town with a girl he once knew, paid no attention and just let it be but keep it a secret from me Mm, i love it yeah joe stafford keep it a secret what does that bring you back to well um it's a it's a first of all it's a record that we had on our jukebox in our our family home in massachusetts when i was growing up it always made me feel so sad as a little girl that a woman with so much to offer would ask for nothing but a lie. You know, like she doesn't say like, tell him I'm over here. <laughs> tell him I'm better. I love him. Or, like I'm better than whoever he's with. You know, and she doesn't like say anything. She just says like, just don't, just like, don't tell me. I guess what I, I feel in general when I listen to that song is like, it's so essentially sad and it's so beautiful. And that's just the way that like sadness was framed for me, romantic sadness. And I was a little girl. I listened to a lot of Crystal Gale as well. And she's like, has a lot of songs about, about heartbreak and her voice is so velvety and beautiful like that. But I also think like when I was writing that piece, which is called I Died, colon, the sad songs of my vagina. (laughs) In case you thought we were going to be entirely serious on this podcast. (laughs) How dare you? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, what I like about it is that, like, and I've said I this. I like when you laugh at your own jokes. I, I do love to laugh at my own jokes. I, I genuinely think they're really funny. I don't think I would do stand-up if I didn't enjoy my own mm-hmm. jokes. I don't know. Whatever you want to say about, like, people who laugh at their own jokes or people who feel their feelings or, like, this this new thing that women sometimes do now where they're like, I'm a lot, but, like that's that you know it's it's like um it's hard because i'm not really like any of that stuff but i really just this is i don't know how to describe it but what you what you see or feel is is really what you're getting and i guess you put your finger on it because i did feel like a little sad and out of it when not out of it but just sad sad and and dimmer when we started our conversation i'm slowly brightening for sure but anyway i'm not like a sad girl who likes to listen to sad stuff and I don't like that character. <laughs> but I just think that after a while, it became important to me to understand that just like our jukebox in our house, which is like 
you know, it's old and it's from my great grandfather and it has lights that light up and they're so bright and beautiful. It also has like these sad beauties built in. And like, if you didn't have that, there wouldn't be any sound coming out of that jukebox except for like a few stupid, happy songs. For you, that song framed what love and heartbreak sound like. There's a sense from movies and romantic movies that heartbreak is like actually really beautiful and that it feels rather safe. And, you know, you're going to be like Sandy Bullock and you're going to have your Chinese food and like your pint of ice cream and you're just going to like be in your sweats and be pretty and cute and great. And like my heartbreak has always felt like, oh my God, there's a central dysfunction here. Things are really weird. I'm watching my life float into outer space. It's weird. It's melted. It's not at all a cute package, but it does definitely end. On the subject of heartbreak, I want to go to page 48. You wrote, each time I fall in love, I feel fear that the world won't let me be in the world with it. Mm. That I either have to pick the world or the love. Taking the risk, believing that love and its people are not predatory. And being part of the sharing of hearts. Only to have to be separated and spend all of my living life waiting for the sharing to really turn into the joining of hearts. You said this book was a record of your loneliness, but it also feels like a book about you trying to figure out how to love again. Yeah, that's part of my loneliness. I'm getting so much better at it. And, you know, I, I just read the book um, All About Love by Bell Hooks. Mm. And it's a beautiful book where, first of all, she uses actually someone else's definition, but it it says that to love oneself or another means that you are first and foremost contributing to like nourishing their spiritual well-being. And she also talks about like a certain personality type that probably like because of what their family was like, how they were raised, that they feel like they have to choose between partner and community, partner and Mm. commitment to a creative process or whatever. Up until meeting my fiance, like always kind of felt like wow, well, I'm just so courageous because I'm just going to, I'm just going to put this person in the center and nothing is as important as them. And I, I never, I mean, it sounds so simple, but like, I just never understood that if you don't keep with your community, if you don't keep with your creative practice, whatever it is, if you're that kind of person or whatever your, you know, your output is or your job that you, you're not going to be there as a good partner. Um, that, you know, you're not just supposed to like throw yourself into someone else, like they're a fire and make a sacrifice. I've just never, I've always like wanted it all and never actually believed that I could have it. Part of this book was like, oh, maybe I can't, maybe I can't, maybe I'm bad at relationships and I can't be with other people um, because I'm just too scared. You wrote, I was more disturbed that it seems impossible to me that I will ever find someone for myself after all of this. I am bitter sometimes. I think, why should I have to sleep alone? What is wrong with me? What happened to my allure, which in my last decade seemed almost problematic? (laughs) Yeah. What are you laughing at there? I sort of laugh at the... It's it's important like that the the sort of self-pity and the bitterness is is marked and it's it's defined and it's in there on purpose but also like nothing has changed about me you know how I look or if I'm alluring or not in in my 20s it was just important to me that like every single person knew that I had a sexuality and that like maybe they would get like a flicker of horniness about me you know like I just I just needed that. There, are, I think there are a lot of people in their 20s that are just like, see me, see me, see me. Know that I have blood pumping through me and just like, see me. And so, yeah, I laugh because, you know, it's like one of those moments where you like throw yourself down and you're like, it used to be, but now it is not. And it's like, no, it's actually it's that you're going through a really important change and what you used to think was important just isn't very important to you anymore. And you're really scared because what will be important next? You're not sure yet. So when you're going through that change and falling in love, what was that like for you? I think 
It was at first like almost exactly what it needed to be for it to, for the love to really last. Like, you know how they say sometimes that like when a baby is born, it will look more like the father and it's like a biological thing so that the male doesn't leave. I think when I first met my fiance, just nothing bought, like, like I was just like, yeah, this is so it. And like, I have no comments on this person, like no notes. (laughs) I just, it's, it's it. Um, and, and there was that, that like moment of, wow, everything works. And I think you need to have that, which is a combination of just faith and delight and, uh, probably like biological mating stuff. (laughs) But then when you really get into it and you start living together, what I noticed was this person is exactly as I thought they were, but better and more surprising. And I'm still scared of stuff. And now I have to figure it out because it doesn't line up with how they're treating me and how we behave together. Mm-hmm. Like, I love our relationship. And and like, genuinely, I'm like, yeah, this is what I heard that you could do. You know, I heard about this. I, I believed in it for other people. I, I compared like all beauties to this. And I just didn't think I would really have it. But why am I still so scared? Why am I still so afraid of abandonment? Why do I still feel like, you know, after a while, my complexity will um, affect the assessment of my worth when this person doesn't do that to me and they don't see me that way? And so the change is that it became hard because suddenly everything was my responsibility in terms of the pain that I felt. You know, it's one thing if you're with someone and you're just like, wow, they really don't get it. Mm-hmm. You just clash in one way or another, but it's a deeper kind of pain of waste and a scarier one where you're like, this fear of abandonment, it's from me. This fear of not being good enough, of not being as good as a cheaper pleasure that might be dangled. So, being in this relationship also like falling in love in that way has meant that I have to face what is at the core of what bothers me. Why did you feel like you weren't going to be able to fall in love or have that relationship that you're talking about? I guess because I hadn't allowed myself to have the full scope of my own self-esteem. There was an article in the New York Times or an essay about this by this woman who was talking about that she used to say, I don't get angry, I just get really sad. Mm-hmm. And which is something I've said too. And again, that goes back to like, what the hell don't I know? I don't know a lot. What are the things that you're saying about yourself that you feel are not true or fair? That I'm too needy, that it's overkill, you know, to want to want to talk about things that are occurring, that other people don't get it. You know, like a, a sort of a lack of faith in other people. And... um I mean, luckily, like I have a partner who proves that wrong over and over again. You know, I specifically, I think I'm very affected by the misogynist myth of the chill woman (laughs) who like has no questions and doesn't need to really discuss anything. And like, it's just Mm -hmm. cool. It's just cool. Like you just be you, you know, like I'm not affected by that. I haven't met that person personally. (laughs) Yeah, she doesn't exist, but somehow she is slowly killing lots of women who do. The fact is that underneath all of my critical self-talk, which has become like a lot less, but it it is there. And I don't know that it will ever really go away. Underneath all of that is this fact that I'm like, I wouldn't trade myself for anyone else. I wouldn't trade anything about myself. But I definitely wish that I can be like more generous and more understanding towards myself and other people. And really keep in mind that bell hooks thing of like, are you or are you not working towards nourishing this person's like spiritual fulfillment? Are you working towards that? My dad said to me, I don't know, many years ago that completion is not a virtue. Like being complete is different than having like a wholesome experience. One of the last things I wanted to present to you here is that at the end of your book, I think it's the second to last chapter, you write... You are not quite awake yet, but the dreaming is done and so is most of your sleep. You are waiting inside yourself, waiting to wake up. You are still behind the curtain that separates awake and activity from sleeping and dreaming. I wondered 
in the aftermath of writing this book, do you feel like you've woken up? I do. I mean, again, I think you've got to awake and reawaken throughout your life. I mean, I I think that, but partially that's probably maturing. I just try to be as awake as possible. And I just think I'm getting better and better at it. I do think that. I do think I'm more awake than when I wrote this book even. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be scary because you're like, oh, God. I was going around. I was like talking to all these people. <laughs> I went to that place. I went to that place. I talked to that person. I kept saying these things. Yeah, I said that. Oh my God. Everyone saw it, you know, especially with me. Like, oh God, everyone saw that. Everyone saw that thing that I did. And, and, um, but I do feel more awake. What I like long for more and more is to, is to hold that focus. And the other thing is that when I wrote this book, it was the first. I felt the first act of like true legitimacy of process mm-hmm. um, for myself as a creative person. Like I always just went up on stage with a bullet point, like a list of bullet points. and was just like, blah, blah, blah. And was a little bit drunk and it was all, it always went great, but I never tried to like organize it. And, you know, with acting also, like I've always known my lines and basically said half of them and said like whatever else I want to say. And this was instead, it was like, no, you're going away somewhere by yourself. You're having the schedule. You're doing this. That also woke me up to like having a process and taking yourself seriously. And that led into doing other things on purpose to help me stay awake. We just talked about looking at our records of past selves and being like, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that to all those people. Uh But to bring this full circle. Please. Three years ago, you sat in my house. We were complete strangers to each other then. We're still mostly strangers to each other now. Sure. You made, at the end of the episode, a declaration of sorts, a short list of wants, of things you wanted to do by 2020. And I thought, if you don't mind, we should listen to that. Okay. I know that's terrifying. No. It's just, I don't know what it will be. Yeah. In three years, I would like to have really new, clean sheets and towels, meaning that if they'd been worn out, I don't really think twice to replace them. Like, I'm grateful, but... I'm like, of course I can. Like, that's like, I have like, I'm like that successful that I have like really nice textiles that I have a garden that's like insane, organized and flourishing. Okay. That, um, I make three projects as an actress a year where I work with people who are really talented and, um, that I feel a greater sense of of um, being sustainable in my career. You know, like I want to be like Ruth Gordon. I want to work forever. And I want to feel a little less frightened that it's going to be taken away. So that will also mean that um, I have a gentler view on myself and on the world. And I believe fewer of the stupid rules about this industry that really don't help us. So that that's what I'd like, like three really good projects a year. And that I'd like to spend my summers on Martha's Vineyard. I would like to have my book finished, a feminist sort of like creature-based essays that are about, it's like a, it's like a Bible for me, but for most people, if they want to read it, that's filled with prayers and love letters and essays about um, living as like a, I guess like you could define me as like very femme, but like a genderless existence within myself, like a creature, you know, I'd like to finish that. And I'd like to be in love with like a really kind man who asks me a lot of questions about myself and who talks to me a lot. And I'd like to try to have a baby with him. And I'd like to be A really good mom.
And that just makes me teary because I didn't ever want to be a mother, and now I do. Well, that also makes me cry. <laughs> it really, basically has um, all come true, um, except for the three projects a year. <laughs> but you know what? That's because I just didn't really want that anymore. I just didn't want that anymore, but I, I wanted to make my own things, and I replaced that. Um, but man, it, it really, wow, that really happened to me. <laughs> that is, uh, you know, I, I, this happens to me all the time where I'm like, I say a, a duo of things. I say, I have no idea what's going on. And then I say that, what I, you know, however I feel. I feel like I'm just so in the atmosphere and I'm not rooted. And then I look back on what I've said at that time. I look back at my journals and I knew exactly what I wanted. And I knew exactly who I was. And um, oh, I'm so moved by that. Yeah. It's so, uh, it's really confusing. <laughs> <laughs> to be a person well, uh, and to be an optimist who sometimes has just such a brutal point of view about oneself. Why is it confusing for you to hear that? I am so sometimes still so down on my volatility in my moods. And I'm not, I'm actually like, I'm not depressive. I'm just like a bouncing ball in, in a cylinder, you know, that just is never comes to rest. And um, it can lead me to say that, like, I am only frenzy or that it's just chance that I spoke and something came out. I have a, I guess it's still a really major problem with my own legitimacy, but there's, there's something that I don't want to define. And so um, sometimes it's just confusing because it's just like, well, <laughs> I'm obviously like really good at having the life that I want to have. And, I'll, and I'm, you know, allowed a lot too, but, um, and many privileges, but I'm not actually flying blind. And it's confusing to me that I continue to say, you don't know what you're doing. There's clearly a roadmap. Yeah, yeah, there, there really is. And, and I, I think I know, you know, what's next too. Like, that's the thing. <laughs> like, the, the thing is like more than ever now. I don't, I don't want to make three movies a year. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want to like live like that. I'd like to maybe make a really good movie every couple of years. That was my last question, which mm. is if we are to speak again in these three-year increments. Cool. This rules. <laughs> we can talk before that, too. <laughs> no, we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. No, now we should talk before. Because <laughs> let me just say before we okay. get... The one thing that makes me sad is, yeah, of course, like, it's... There's no pressure. But, like, yeah, of course we are strangers. We, like, don't really know each other. But we also really like each other, I think. You know, like, I think there's, like, an admiration and a respect. And sometimes when I, in my life when people have been like, well, I mean, you don't know me. But I always kind of took it as, like, an insult, <laughs> which is weird. Because, <laughs> like, it's also true. Yeah, I don't I don't get that. I hope this time we'll keep in touch more. I, I do, too. I don't want to have to like go out to dinner with somebody because they like work at like a platform where maybe I might be on like a mini <laughs> I want to go out to dinner with someone because I like them and maybe that will hurt me in the end. But um, I don't know. I guess it means if we're going out to dinner, I, I think it's worth it. Well, we can go out to dinner when the pandemic's over. But before then. That's what you said to the pandemic doctor. <laughs> <laughs> you said you would buy him a beer. I'm like, I'll be there. I'll join you guys. Wow. I You had him on twice. Yeah. I didn't know what you were referencing. And I was like, I was going to go with it. And then I'm like, oh, it's the show. Yeah. Shit. The guy from Harvard. I can't remember his name now. Uh, Dr. Ashish Jha. You just like talk easy yes. to me. You like pulled a reference <laughs> and you stumped me. God damn. I'm sorry. I mean, you you played a song that I talked about in my book, and I, I was like, I didn't talk about a song in my book. <laughs> okay. So, in closing. Yes. For the listener. And for you. Yeah. 
What do the next three years look like? For me, in the next three years, and I can't even get into politics because my head will explode and I need my head. But um, I would like to finish another book, a second book that will be about the intense fears that happen when you find real love. I would like to have a healthy, happy family and for my relationship that, I, that I'm in to just keep being what it is plus more. And um, I do have my sheets and towels as I want them. But I'd like to finally finish our Marcel the Shell movie. That's a career goal for me. And I would like to get out of this sort of acting funk that I'm in and gain some belief in myself again and do do a couple of comedy projects that genuinely are very, very good. Those are sort of basic goals. But, you know, I'd like to return in three years and say, I hurt myself with my thinking a lot less. And I have more peace. And I feel safe. I think that's possible. I think it is. But I think... Three years is a small amount of time for that big, big work. But yeah, I'll do it forever. In 2017, at the end, I said, uh, I wish all those things for you. And the same is true now. I wish all those things for you. Thank you. Jenny Slate, thank you very much for coming back. Thank you for having me back. I'll see you in uh, 2023. Yeah, I'll be there. I And you will be making a show. I'm, I, I, I'm sorry that I... <laughs> <laughs> if you're yeah sam um i will see you in 2023 um if you can like make it <laughs> i appreciate the confidence you have in me oh thanks um, so much i just love talking to you thanks so much so long bye-bye bye-bye our show special thanks this week to jenny slate if you'd like to read her book little weirds you can do that wherever you do your reading if you'd like to hear our first conversation from 2017 you can find that on our site at www.talkeasypod.com there you'll find our entire back catalog including talks with elizabeth gilbert roxanne gay gloria steinem Holland Taylor, Beto O'Rourke, Noam Chomsky, and Fran Leibowitz. You can listen and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you do your listening. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TalkEasyPod. And if you'd like to join our mailing list, drop me a line at TalkEasyPod at gmail.com. Our executive producer is Janixa Bravo. Our associate producer is Nikki Spina. Our lead editor is Andre Lin. Our assistant editors are Eli Weiss and David Harding. Our music is by Dylan Peck. Our interns are Kiran Aftab and Patrice Lee. Illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Graphics by Ian Jones. And the show is produced by Caroline Reebok. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you next week with Norman Lear. Until then. Stay safe, everyone. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards 
from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry and me. I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.